Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Hi everyone, before we get started, I wanted to share that today's episode is sponsored by Comcast Rise, which stands for representation, investment, strength, and empowerment. Comcast Rise is an initiative to support small businesses owned by people of color, which includes Asian Americans, that have been hit hardest by the pandemic, providing them access to tools, expertise, and resources for marketing, media campaigns, and tech and website upgrades. All of us at Asian Boss Girl can attest to how beneficial these resources can be for a small business owner as small business owners ourselves. So if you'd like to check them out, go to www.comcastrise.com to apply today. Be sure to share this opportunity with your favorite Asian American business owners too. And I am super excited for you all to hear today's episode with one of our favorite people who's built a powerhouse of a small business herself. Welcome to ABG Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. I'm Janet. I'm Mel. I'm Helen. And I'm Sarah! On Asian Boss Girl, we love to use our platform to share the life stories and work of amazing Asian women. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with serial entrepreneur and award-winning writer, filmmaker, director, journalist, and creative storyteller, Sarah Nguyen. Sarah began her career in the film and media industry as a digital correspondent and video producer at NBC News, host at Vice Media, and contributor at the Huffington Post. Her documentary, Deported, which follows a grassroots fight to end deportation of Cambodian Americans from the U.S. to Cambodia, won the 2018 NAMIC Vision Award for Best Digital Media, Longform, which is a national association for multi-ethnic student communications, beating out CNN's Lisa Ling. Whoa. She also created a documentary series that celebrates Asian-American trailblazers around the country called Self Starters, which was nominated for the LA Press Club and EPPY Awards alongside Time CNN and ESPN. In 2018, she founded Win Coffee Supply, the first specialty Vietnamese coffee company in the U.S. importing via direct trade and roasting in Brooklyn, New York. Their commitment to producing and offering premium Vietnamese coffee creates opportunities for economic advancement with Vietnamese farmers. Their mission is to change the future of specialty coffee through diversity, inclusion, and sustainability. Win Coffee Supply has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Vice, Forbes, New York Times, Savior, Imbibe Magazine, Vietc, and CNN. Sarah's family history and culture as a daughter of Vietnamese refugees who fled Vietnam by boat after the war has been at the heart of her professional and life's work. Please welcome to the Asian Boss Girl podcast, Sarah Nguyen! Woo! Woo! Welcome, Sarah. 
Wow, what an introduction. As you read, I was like, wow, that happened? It feels like so long ago, um, some of those things. You've done so much, yeah. so, so much. You have such an amazing bio. Well, first off, thank you so much for being here today. I'm super excited to have you on. And for those of you who are tuning in right now, Sarah and I actually go way back. Way, way we back. Went super way. We went to the same high school in Boston, yes. and wow. she was one grade above me. We played volleyball together. Yeah. And... Sarah is someone who, through and through, has been incredibly artistic. You're a muralist, a spoken artist, a poet, a filmmaker, and you've just been such a huge advocate for a community since, since day one. And I am just so happy that we have this platform of Asian Boss Girl so that we can tell your story and lift you up. A fellow Asian Boss Girl from Boston. Remember Boston. my hometown? Like, hello. ABG. ABG. Yes. We are so excited to tell your story. Um, so let's get started. I mean, you grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, and mm-hmm. both of your parents are Vietnamese refugees who fled Vietnam by boat after the war. Yeah. What was that like? How would you describe your, your childhood and your upbringing? Oh my gosh, I feel like you could really relate to this, Helen, because we both grew up in Boston. Yeah, um, yeah you know, so just for, so I always tell people my age for context, right? And I think like this is a weird thing with women where it's like, oh, don't ask my age or like, I don't want to tell how old I am, which is like a part of patriarchy and sexism, right? So I always tell people that I was born in 1986 because it provides really rich and valuable context for how I grew up. Like, mm-hmm. I'm an 80s child. I grew up in the 90s, right? This was pre-internet, pre Facebook, pre-TikTok, pre-YouTube, pre-social media. And what that really means was it was a very dichotomous world. Like race was very binary, right? We talk about lack of representation today, but growing up as a kid in the 90s where I didn't have the internet or even a dictionary, like I really struggled with lack of representation, right? So I grew up as a kid in Boston feeling really, really invisible. And the only access to media I had was television. And it was like, not like save this program, rewind, replay, Netflix. It was like television that we waited for a show every week at the same day and time or um, magazines or CDs, right? So those were like the three main touch points of media. And definitely in the 90s, there was no representation of anyone who even looked close to me in magazines or TV or in music, right? Um, so as a, like a, you know, as a Vietnamese American kid, as a child of immigrants and refugees, like it was really hard just economically with my parents. Mm-hmm. You know, they came here um, when they were like 20, 21 years old, which was like they're kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They had me when they were like mid to late 20s, which again, they're still kids, right? And they were just trying to figure it out for themselves of like, not knowing how to speak English, being in a foreign country, not having parents here, not having family here, just navigating a whole new bureaucracy. So they, so their experiences were really hard. And so mm. as a kid growing up, to be honest, it wasn't up until like, like preschool, I didn't, my life just felt normal. Like, right. Mm-hmm. All the things around poverty or like just being a part of like an immigrant household, like those things feel normal, like playing with beer bottles and playing with like bottle caps and like playing with like cockroaches. Like that just seems normal. Cause it's like, that's your reality. Mm-hmm. But then when mm-hmm. you get older, when you enter school, you're like, Oh shit, my parents are like different. Like they're immigrants. And we're actually considered poor, you know, <laughs> or like from a, in a different social class. Like, why don't I have 
those types of stickers or books, mm. right? Or mm-hmm. why don't I have Nabisco, but I can't, my family won't buy Nabisco because it's too expensive. Why don't I have Ziploc bags for like sandwiches? I can only have the flap and fold bags, right? These are all mm-hmm. these little sig- these signals, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As a kid, that is the beginning of feeling inferior, feeling alienated, feeling marginalized, feeling invisible and small, right? Um, So at a high level, that was kind of like my experience growing up um, in Boston. Man, I mean, I I definitely, I feel you on that story, Sarah. It's like, yeah, like growing up, same, immigrant parents, super poor. Like I, since I've been like looking for houses, I just recently looked up like our apartment building and the place that we lived in was less than a thousand square feet. It fits six people and there'd be like rats everywhere. And I'm just like, yeah, that felt normal. You know, that just felt like that. That was the entire world that we knew, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. back then. And now that we're older, I think you've probably also gone through like some shame maybe related to it and thinking, yeah, why was I, why did I grow up different? And now there's a sense of extreme pride. Yep. When would you say, Sarah, that that like, kind of started shifting for you mm-hmm. yeah I, I clearly know when that shifted everything like my whole life changed like sophomore year of high school because mm-hmm. um, that was when I became politicized and it was because I joined a youth activist organization called the Coalition for Asian Pacific American Youth which was which was a youth-run youth-led social justice um, organization housed on the campus of UMass Boston inside the Asian American Studies program Right. So this youth program was sponsored by the Asian American Studies program. So basically, I spent a lot of my my days after school on the weekends inside the Asian American Studies program at UMass Boston. So um, through this like experience, I had mentors. I I was around other college students who were like in the Asian AM program. Um, I was like mentored by professors. And then like I had mentors who were like the program coordinators and through this program, that's when I learned about like Asian American st- studies or like Asian American history. I learned about um, just the history of oppres- oppression in this country. I learned about um, different social movements, about the Black Panther Party, about mm-hmm. like Malcolm X, Asada Shakur, like you know Gracie Boggs, Ronald Takaki. So I was really blessed as a young as a young person to have access to this um, and to have mentors that really shaped my critical consciousness. And after I, so once I went through, once I got exposed to all of that, Janet, I just felt like, I felt, I felt free inside. Mm -hmm. But what it was for a young person was for the first time I had context and language for how I was feeling, right? Mm -hmm. So I was feeling embarrassed, ashamed, small, inferior. And then through learning about the history of oppression in this country and learning about the role that America played in the war in Vietnam, right? And then learning about what my parents went through because they never talked about it, right? Mm -hmm. That just gave me so much pride, right? Well, Mm -hmm. first it made me really angry. So I was like really angry as a a teenager and like throughout college. But they gave me pride because it made me feel like, oh, I feel this way because they're there are systems designed to make me feel this way. And there are mm-hmm. systems designed to make me and my parents and my family be oppressed and marginalized and kept on the margins, right? So once I discovered that it wasn't me that mm-hmm. was like mm-hmm. different or weird or like not good enough, that it was actually the system of like oppression and racism and sexism, I was like, oh, fuck that. Like yeah. that just got like all this like power. Mm-hmm. And then of course it was through like organizing as a young person and doing spoken word poetry and high school I started to find my voice more right Mm. oh my gosh but Helen I have to say I have to say because this is gonna be so good 
You know, I've, I've been, so I've been doing spoken word poetry since I was in high school because one of my mentors was a spoken word poet. And it was through this channel of creative writing and performing that I really found my voice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then throughout throughout my entire life since high school, I've performed a lot. I perform around the country. I also did a lot of public speaking and I'm still like I still speak a lot. Right. But people always say like, oh, you're such a natural at speaking. Like you're so good at speaking. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not a natural, though. I'm like. I've actually been working on it for a very long time since public declamation at our high school. Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck that. Sarah, oh no, that's Sarah, a story okay. that Helen tells. <laughs> okay, so I tell this story on our podcast and at our speaking events, right? And I fuck that thing, public declamation. Okay, so I'll, I'll repeat this for people who are just tuning in now, but this was eighth grade public declamation where it's like a single grade on your report card. And basically, you have to memorize a poem or whatever it is, a speech, get up there, recite it without any help, and just like stare at your class and like, give it to them right that literally was a source of my fear of public oh, speaking and that yes. that actually made me go inwards and hate mm. public speaking versus i think for you it's good right like the opposite that experience. oh my oh, i am oh. completely on the opposite side okay. of that spectrum <laughs> okay first of all actually i would i would resonate with you because public declamation is brutal because it's not for everyone right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. as we grow everyone's dna is different their personality is different like myers-briggs like and I, I get that what they were doing. But, and, and so that was part of like this really archaic piece of our high school, which is actually the first public school in the country, 1635. Hey, yep. <laughs> our alumni is Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> Anyways. Damn. Oh, so really proud. Was, yes. <laughs> the, was it the light bulb? Was it the light bulb? Right? Yeah. Benjamin Franklin? Yeah. No, yeah. The, yeah. Key, yeah. the key. The kite. The kite. The kite. The yeah. kite. kite. One of those. Printing press? Is that also? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I, I do, I think looking back, public, public declamation as a requirement for every grade from seventh grade to, to senior to like 12th grade, that is brutal and like borderline cruel, right? Mm. Um, it was mm-hmm. a requirement. So I actually hated it too, Helen, for most of it, most of my time until sophomore year, because there's also this expectation with our school, BLS, where you picked like a a speech by an old dead white guy, right? Or like yes. a Shakespearean yeah. poem, right? And then yes. I was like, so then when I got politicized in sophomore year, I actually started performing poetry by radical poets, like mm. I was born with two mm. tongues, or like Anita Yoali, where it was like literally talking about racism. And it was mm. like, fuck, oh, one of the poems I recited was like, fuck America. Like literally that was the title, like fuck America. It was all about like racism from the, from the Asian American experience. So once I started undo- doing that, and I remember me and my other like student, my other um, classmate, Sonka, who's also in this program with me, was also in my year at BLS. We started choosing these really radical poems, and the teachers hated it, right? They hated oh, it. You did so, that in declamation? I did that in declamation. Oh, my God. That is... I did fucking Robert Frost, who wrote diversity all over, but just don't remember all of them. <laughs> So when I started, so it was like a little controversial because no one's mm-hmm. ever done that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but when I started doing it, I was like, then I found my voice and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I kind of like this now. So Helen, one step further, I actually competed in school-wide public declamation. So there's like the requirement and I got, <laughs> I got so oh into it. I would compete where you, that you go into the auditorium and you go on stage and then you declaim in front of the auditorium and I would do like the fuck oh. America poem, right? Um, oh my gosh. Wow. So that's, that's when I started liking it because it made me feel powerful. But yeah. other, but in general, yeah, public declamation is brutal. But anyways, um, my voice, going back to my voice. 
<laughs> I love that story. No, thank you for sharing that. I'm glad it like worked out for some people. Yeah. You know what? I think now, now that I look back on it, maybe there is something there where it it, it grew this fear in me. But now I'm like, I'm gonna fight that fear, and I'm gonna. Yeah. This is something I'm gonna work through. And now I have right. the platform where I have to do it. So it's like I'm just fighting this fear, and it, I I think a lot of progress also comes from fear. So yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So we ha- we have your we have is it BLS. Your, the yes. Yeah, Boston we have Latin Boston Latin School. Mm-hmm. We have bought in Latin schools. Uh, public declamation to thank for both <laughs> for both Sarah and Helen. <laughs> uh, but thank you for sharing that, Sarah. I think it, it it's a very empowering thing for a lot of our audience to hear too. That um, you know what helps you flip the switch. Oftentimes, from feeling a place of weakness and confusion and frustration mm-hmm. is education. Yeah. Um, is mm-hmm. educating yourself and then also finding a community of people that that understand and share that viewpoint um, and that you can flip that into a sense of pride after you really understand what's happening um, and different perspectives so uh, thank you for sharing that and and it makes you know we we did learn that for college you studied um, like creative writing and uh, Asian American studies and sharing that background makes total sense Um, (laughs) what what made you decide to go all the way across the country to UCLA versus you know staying in the east coast where you were born and bred yeah yeah um, before I answer that question, Janet, thank you so much for synthesizing all of that in such beautiful, articulate words. Thank you. Um, yeah, so, so you know, I when I was a high school senior, I was, like, super radical, super political. I was like, organizing protests and rallies for youth issues and organizing workshops and conferences and reciting Fuck America poems and public declamation. <laughs> so at that time, all I... Some people are like, oh, I want to go to college to become this or that. I had no idea what I wanted to become except for a revolutionary, right? Because that was like where I was at, right? I like looked up to these revolutionaries so much and I was like, wow. And, and I felt like this radicalization and this politicization was such a big part of my awakening and my sense of purpose and empowerment. I just wanted to feed that more, right? Mm. So I was like, I don't really know what I want to do in my life, but I just want to be like a revolutionary and I want to be like an activist, right? So I wanted to continue pursuing that journey, which is why I wanted to go study Asian American studies and ethics study started in um you know in um norcal in san francisco in california so really if you kind of look into it like all the best asian american studies programs are on the west coast in california and i'd say the best one is at ucla um and actually on the east coast you can't really major in asian american studies there may be programs where you can kind of like get maybe a certificate so that's why i was like i want to go to ucla because i want to continue this path of activism and deep empowerment and major in asian american studies at the best program in the country now, I actually got rejected from UCLA at first, right? Because it's really hard to get in as an mm-hmm. out-of-state school. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm probably like one of the only freshmen applying straight into the Asian AM major. Because usually like people don't do that, right? Because yeah. they don't discover until they get there. They're like, oh, it's kind of easy. I'm going to major or minor into this. And then I, so I got rejected at first. And I was like, I was like oh, no, 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 no. I, I really, really want to go here. So I wrote a letter of appeal. And I appealed to them, like, I really want to come to UCLA to major in Asian American studies for all these reasons, to, like, empower and serve my community, et cetera, et cetera. And then that's how I got in, through the appeal. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that diligence and that, <laughs> that perseverance. That's incredible. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's also Thanks. really rare to hear, like, like you, you kind of gave us context, like, where you grew up and during that time. But it's really rare to hear someone 
saying i'm going to major in asian american studies definitely more common now than it was before because actually my brother's girlfriend is a ucla major asian american studies so i was like oh wow so it's just it's cool to see how the progression of the studies has has come but definitely your background has led you to that path to you know bring you out to ucla and do all this stuff but i feel like sarah you like are super talented like after college and before founding, you know, New End Coffee Supply, you worked with NBC News as a digital correspondent mm-hmm. and video producer. I'm just like, it sounds like you're kind of like the jack of all trades. Um, yeah. What led you to, you know, working in video? So great question, Melody. Um, you know, it was around 2013 I moved from L.A. to New York City mm-hmm. because I just felt really passionate about increasing representation mm-hmm. Of the Asian American community in media. Because I feel like so much of the root of problems in our society, whether it's with Asian Americans, um, you know, whether it's with younger Asian American folks feeling like they don't have visibility or and how that affects their self-esteem or how that Mm -hmm. affects like you know their path of like exploring their full potential also the lack of representation it doesn't give other people who are non-asian american the opportunity to learn about our experiences right which Mm -hmm. is why we have such a huge um problem connecting right um people don't understand what an asian american person is or what is the asian american experience i think Mm -hmm. today we're talking about like violence and hate crimes and you know racism within the asian american experience and for me as asian american i feel like oftentimes it's so hard to talk about the issues that we're affected by because people first don't understand the asian american experience Mm -hmm. as a human being Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so how can we talk about solving violence against or hate crimes against an asian american person if if people don't even know if this person is is a person, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, like, that makes sense. That's yeah. what I that's what I feel. I'm like, do you even see me as a person? Because if you don't, mm. I don't expect you to care about violence against me, right? right. Mm-hmm. Or against our communities, right? Um, so, and I think a lot of I mean, there are many many ways to solve that. But I feel like pure representation, storytelling, bringing nuance and complex, um, diverse, bringing nuance and complex storytelling to the Asian experience does a lot for humanity, I feel. So with that in mind, I really wanted to contribute to creating more stories about our community. And so I went to New York and, you know, no one would hire me because I had no experience in media or journalism. I didn't major in media journalism. So I started just making my own films, freelance. And New York is a great place for freelancing. So that's how I started my journey there. Yeah, no, that's amazing. But can you describe, like, how was that experience like working for, you know, like, as working with NBC News and working as, like, a content creator or a video producer? Yeah, that was definitely, like, that was definitely a dream. And I feel mm. I feel like that was one of the biggest highlights of my time in New York City. I'm still here, by the way. Um, and it happened, like, and I feel like it was a really, like, unique a unique opportunity that may or may not happen again because I think the, the path of a creative mm. is really unpredictable. So, for example... Um, I I got the opportunity to work with NBC News and specifically NBC Asian America because I had I had been making these other documentaries about um, you know Asian Americans and in, in the communities in communities of color and I put them on YouTube right um, and then it was because of the series Makers Lane that a producer at NBC Asian America saw it and invited me to produce content for NBC News um, because they actually also got like a bunch of funding 
But now it's like, I don't even know what that funding is around anymore. And actually the video programs at NBC Asia America have changed a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyways, that's another conversation about just career trajectory. But yeah, it was, it was honestly, Melody, it was a dream to be able to have my projects greenlit and fully funded and to tell stories about our community in a unique and rich and complex and nuanced way. I didn't have that growing up, and so I just felt mm. so thrilled to be able to create and contribute that to the ecosphere of stories. Mm. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. Yeah. No, I feel like even for us, too, with Asian Boss Girls, same thing as what you were saying earlier. Like, we're basically just trying to tell the stories of Asian Americans so that we can humanize us mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. our storytelling, and I think that is so important. Like, that is the core of a lot of the problems in this country where we need people to recognize us as humans. And so you Mm -hmm. need to tell our nuanced stories and stories that are varied and different and complicated and, yeah, not just, like, the butterflies or whatever Mm -hmm. you see also on on TV, right? So, yeah, props to you for doing that so early, too. Yeah. Um, And so while you were at NBC News, you created a documentary series called Self Starters Mm -hmm. where you shared the life of entrepreneurs whose unique stories included one common thread, which is the pursuit of the American dream. Mm -hmm. Was that a project that you pitched and initiated with NBC News, or how did that even come about? Yeah, that was a project that I created and pitched NBC News, and then they greenlit it. Um, So that that was also a dream opportunity as a creator to be able to have full autonomy and control over this, right? And then Mm -hmm. once I greenlit it, I owned the entire production from beginning to end, and that was like everything from like hiring my own crew, you know, like all the logistics, and I basically deliver them the final assets, right? Wow. So, so I had a lot of creative control over that whole experience, um, which is great. And yeah, and that project was specifically self starters was focused on, um, you know, amplifying, celebrating Asian Americans across the country through the lens of entrepreneurship, right? And, and for me at that time, this was like 2016, I think. So for me at that time, I was thinking a lot about how do I how do I tell stories about the Asian American experience and also tell in a way that is accessible for non-Asian Americans, right? Because mm-hmm. I want non-Asian Americans to watch this so that they can also learn and connect with us. And so that was kind of like where the thread and the lens of entrepreneurship came through, right? And also this idea of like the pursuit of the American experience. It was kind mm-hmm. of walking that fine line as a storyteller of like, how do we tell really rich and unique stories, but also keeping in mind of like, if this doesn't reach a, a, a different audience, it doesn't do as it doesn't reach its full potential, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, because, and at this time, I felt like I really want to show Asian Americans across different industries, across um, different generations, across different ethnic backgrounds, to show the diversity across all those lanes. Like diversity isn't just you know, what race are you? What ethnicity are you? Like, that's a nice layer. But it's also like, what industry are you, right? Mm-hmm. So I really wanted just to show like how multifaceted and talented and innovative folks from our community community are through the lens of entrepreneurship. And so, you know, if you kind of scan the, the roster, we have someone in streetwear, who's also a Filipino American woman. We have someone in solar energy. We have someone in um, restaurants. We have someone in social impact entrepreneurship. And we have folks um, of power wow in street art right diversity like so much diversity that was like kind of the main goal yeah no that that is awesome and that was still pretty early on in your career then with nbc mm-hmm. news was your first quote-unquote job after college yeah well so the, it was my first job but i mean i worked pretty full-time with productions but i was technically a contractor so mm-hmm. i wasn't like salaried in there yeah 
Got it. Okay. Well, what is one thing that you took away from doing that series? Producing it from beginning to end is a lot of work. What is one thing that you took away from that series? Whether it's learning something about yourself or about people or what you want to do in the future. Like, did it inspire anything that you wanted to do right afterwards? Or maybe did you maybe did you learn that you know an, an environment or a corporate environment like NBC News is maybe not a ideal place for you? Or mm-hmm. you know. for starters. I'd say that I learned, I was just constantly inspired by everyone I talked to. And I think the common thread from everyone that I I talked to, I interviewed was like, there are no rules, right? Like whether you're an entrepreneur or you're not, like you are creating your own lane, right? And your path is unique and there are just no rules. So I think that was a really big takeaway for me, right? Um, In terms of like a more, I guess, like professional takeaway for anyone who's listening, it, while I was, because it was early on, early on in my career, I was really excited for the opportunity, mm. but I got to admit, starting from there, but really throughout my entire filmmaking career, it's really hard. Like being a filmmaker, especially a freelance filmmaker, especially a documentary filmmaker, it's so hard, um, um, financially, mentally, and emotionally. And to be honest, I, you know, across like the six years where I was really dedicated towards it, I felt like my projects got better and my accolades got better. I got awards and, you know, I worked on better projects with like, you know, great people and all those things got better, but my financial security actually never got better. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and if my, if I don't have financial security, I don't have mental or emotional security. Right. Mm. And I'm honest about this because it's, it's, it's not a reflection of me because I know I'm talented. I just feel like it's really a reflection of, of our system. Unfortunately, I feel like our systems are not designed well to support creative people, right? Whether you're a creative musician or a filmmaker. And so I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying, how can we change the system, right? Like whoever has money, yeah. like maybe think about how we can change the system because this is why so many talented people get burnt out or they leave like, mm. you know, the mm. pursuit of artistry because it's just very unsustainable. Um, so yeah, those are some like two two key takeaways. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that is a really good thing uh, to expose to any young person out there is, mm-hmm. um, you know, pursuing your passions. There's definitely a place to to succeed and to get accolades, but be aware of the realities sometimes of the of the system um, and hopefully mm-hmm. be inspired to change them. Yeah. On this podcast, we talk about our boobs, we talk about our periods, and we talk about our vaginas. So female health is a topic that we welcome, and we encourage all of you to be informed and take an interest in your own feminine health. For me personally, I'm now 35 and want to have children someday, but am not in a situation to have them today. I was eager to use Modern Fertility because not only do they provide details about your egg count, but they also give you details about expected menopause timing or if your hormone levels indicate conditions like thyroid disorders or PCOS. All things that are incredibly important to know about your health as a woman, whether or not kids are in your future. They sent me a test kit in the mail. I created my account online and I did a quick finger prick with their user-friendly Lancet to complete the sample. I then mailed it in with a prepaid label that they gave me. My results included information about my hormone levels, my ovarian reserve, ovulation, and more. 
Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com ABG. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. They also accept HSA and FSA dollars. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com ABG. Modernfertility.com ABG. I feel like a completely different person compared to who I was last year. It's really crazy how leaning into negative comments and self-talk can really diminish your self-confidence. That was me in 2020. But I will say that with the right mindfulness activities and continuing with therapy from BetterHelp has helped me tremendously. BetterHelp is a professional counseling service available for our listeners worldwide and would highly encourage it. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today and is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. In my recent sessions with my counselor, we both could feel the mental progress I've made and I told her how I'm trying to make incremental positive changes to my lifestyle. We agreed it would be a fun activity to reflect back on my previous sessions to see the growth I've made. I'll share more about that after that session. I typically do monthly video calls with her, but we message in between in case something comes up. So whether you work better with phone, video calls, or messaging, BetterHelp has options for you. It's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and ABG listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com ABG10. That's better H-E-L-P and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Again, you can try it out at betterhelp.com ABG10. When it comes to body hair, I'll be honest that I've been pretty lazy with shaving. I mean, we just spent a year in quarantine after all, and my leg hairs, whew, yikes. I also haven't had the best experience with shaving in the past. Sometimes razors aren't the best quality, and they'll leave my skin bumpy, or I'll cut myself. And if I go for a higher quality razor, it can get pretty expensive. But recently, I've been using Billy and really loving the experience. Their five-blade razor gives such a smooth shave and comes with a magnetized holder that protects the blades of my razor so they don't rust over on the side of my shower. I hate it when that happens. Billy also ships directly to me so I don't have to make extra trips to the drugstore and is really affordable. Their starter kit is just $9. You can go to mybilly.com to get the starter kit, which includes their award-winning razor, two refill blades, and my favorite part, the magnetic holder. That's mybilly.com to meet the razor that made everyone start talking about razors. They're an Allure Best of Beauty winner and on Nylon's beauty hit list for a reason. And to express a little love for our show, you can go to mybilly.com ABG. It's a small way you can support us while getting the best razor you will ever own. It's just $9 to get your starter kit plus free shipping always. Go to mybilly.com ABG, spelled mybilli dot com ABG. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. So it sounds like you've done so much amazing work up until this point, Sarah, around, um, you know, filmmaking and video and storytelling. And then in 2018, you started Nguyen Coffee Supply. 
How did mm-hmm. how did you go from video to coffee? <laughs> how did that start? Do you, do you like coffee? Was it you know, what was it about? Yeah, see, that seems a uh, totally kind of out of the blue. Yeah, okay. I mean, it was out of the blue for me too, Janet. Like, I never thought I'd be in this position. I never thought I'd be a coffee entrepreneur. You know, um, I never thought I'd be in the importing roasting business. Like, not even inkling, right? Um, I I am a coffee drinker. I love coffee. Um, but I would describe myself as, like, a really casual coffee drinker mm. where I have one to three cups a day. But, like, before starting to win coffee supply, I had, like, one to three cups a day. Love coffee. Love coffee culture. But I didn't know shit about coffee, mm. right? Like, I didn't know how to brew coffee. I didn't know anything about extraction science. I didn't know how to weigh what are grams or what are ounces. Like, I, didn't, I barely knew what a macchiato was, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know anything about coffee. I just knew that I liked coffee. I liked bodega coffee I like instant coffee I like a latte right Mm. um and I think a lot of people are actually like that right Mm -hmm. um however like I think one of the things I've noticed as just a coffee consumer is with like the birth and the movement and the evolution of like what we call specialty coffee or like third wave coffee culture which like post Starbucks is like the blue bottle of stem towns um so many amazing things that have come out and are coming out of third wave coffee, um, such as values of transparency, values of sustainability, um, you know, increased economic opportunities. I think those things are cool. And then I think also what's been really cool is like the exploration of the bean, like how there are all these flavor notes now with coffee and how like you can taste coffee in so many different ways through different extraction methods. I think that's all exciting and amazing and I fully embrace it. But the one thing that I don't like about um, specialty coffee culture or third wave coffee culture that I felt as a consumer was like this very elitist mm. coffee culture that was coming out yeah. because because there was so much excitement around the science of coffee, which led to the mastery of coffee and the mastery of brewing coffee and the mastery of like extraction science. That created this, my assumption and my anthropological hypothesis is that it created like this really elitist culture of like this is how you drink coffee is how you don't drink coffee and if you're not drinking coffee like this then you're not really you're not a real coffee drinker or you're not Mm. a good coffee drinker and you're a bad coffee drinker and i'm like how the fuck did we manage to make coffee so fucking elitist (laughs) you know and i'm like this is so fucked up and it's so annoying and i'm like of course like America would do that, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, yo, I'm not about this, right? And so, um, how do I get in? So that, sorry, that's a long story of like what kind of coffee drinker I am. But anyways, <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I started winning coffee supply because I felt so angry about the injustice that was happening with Vietnamese mm-hmm. coffee and VB's coffee producers, which is the same injustice that I felt you know, as a filmmaker, and that is Vietnamese coffee and Vietnamese coffee producers have been rendered invisible in the coffee trade, in the coffee Mm -hmm. conversation, coffee experience, right? Um, And because they've been rendered invisible, um, one, they don't have representation. Um, Two, they don't have credibility or respect or recognition. But three, it creates a missed opportunity for people all around the world to have this cultural connection with Vietnam, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so, and what I mean by that is I discovered in my research that Vietnam is the number two producer of coffee in the world and I was like how did I not know that I'm a Vietnamese American right and on top of that they're the number one producer of robusta coffee in the world I'm like how did I know that so what that really means is Vietnam touches people's lives all around the world through their daily coffee experiences Mm. I'm like how did I not know that because of lack of transparency because Vietnamese coffee has been rendered invisible when they leave Vietnam when coffee leaves Vietnam it's no longer Vietnamese coffee it's coffee Right. Mm -hmm. Even though it doesn't hurt anybody to say 
it's coffee from Vietnam, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I felt, as a Vietnamese American, I felt so angered by this, you all. Where I was like, I need to start a coffee business just to change this, right? Like, I wow. swear, I swear, this is this business is not easy. Like, importing, exporting, like, it is not easy. It's like a capital-intensive business. It's inventory-heavy. Like, it's not easy. And so I didn't just choose to do the hardest thing because it was fun. It was like, I felt so angry about mm-hmm. this um, this fucked up narrative this inequitable system you know this lack of respect and just like um care for vietnam as a country and culture where i was like Mm -hmm. well i guess you know sometimes if you want to change the narrative around something and sorry i didn't even get into the mean the mean narratives around vietnamese coffee the internet real quick Mm -hmm. when i was researching i was like googling vietnamese coffee Oh my gosh, the internet is so mean when they talk about Vietnamese coffee and robusta coffee. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, just Google it. They're mean. They were saying things like Vietnamese coffee is cheap. Vietnamese coffee is gross. Vietnamese coffee tastes like burnt rubber tires, right? And I'm like, internet is mean. And then I'm like, this is the same pattern of who controls the narrative. Mm. Who is controlling the narrative? Who is perpetuating the narrative? Who are the gatekeepers of any industry that we interact with, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, this just is not true, right? And so that in conjunction with the lack of visibility, I was like, I really want to change this, right? And so for me, changing the narrative in this scenario wasn't just about making a film. For me, it was about creating a new way of being in a new Mm. system and a new supply chain, because that's what we were saying earlier about changing the system, right? I could do a film, and one day I will do a film. But for me, the problem felt deeper. It was about, I, I wanted to just kind of open up a new pathway and a new channel and a new and a new a new way of being, which is literally creating my own supply chain with importing and roasting. And that's how we got Win Coffee Supply. <laughs> Dang, wow. So you definitely see that there's that common thread of your mission. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in your life, the way to go about accomplishing that mission was through film. And other times it was creating a, a, a different product in a company to help solve and change a system that you disagreed with. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. You're so good at synthesizing, Janet. <laughs> she She's is so the best. Good. She is the best. <laughs> you're, so, you're also, obviously, you're a very good listener. I'm like... How could I have said that in like two sentences? That's so good. No, but all the the storytelling or the detail that you shared was, um, I don't know, I felt like I was, it really helps me understand um, the, like the soul of what you're passionate about and why you do what Mm. you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I just feel very uh, kind of like in awe at everything you just talked about because I think what Janet said is correct. Like your mission has stayed true ever since you're an adolescent. I think that's incredible. I love that you wanted to come into the coffee industry to kind of change people's perspectives and behaviors with Vietnamese coffee. I think that's incredible Mm -hmm. because you're kind of changing in some ways not only a perception but also behavior and habit and how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Um, Totally. What was the first steps like for you to actualize the the concept of Numan Coffee? Like, you know, did you have to go to Vietnam and like kind of like test out the beans and like figure out you know where to get the coffee beans from and also if you can share sarah like what was it like transitioning from a career in media and then to starting your own company at the same time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah for sure great questions um so i started thinking about the idea in 2016 and then in 2016 i was actually 
on the way to Cambodia to film Deported mm. for NBC News. And then most of my family is still in Vietnam because my parents are each one of like seven to eight siblings and mm. they were the only ones to escape the country. Oh, wow. So I have extended network of family in Vietnam that I'm very close to and I grew up visiting all the time. So I decided to visit my family in Vietnam before hopping to Cambodia. And I was like, just super casually, like talking to one of my aunts, like, I think, I'm thinking of starting a coffee company where I want to import Vietnamese coffee. Do you know anybody with a coffee farm? And my aunt was like, actually, I do. I have a friend I used to work with, but he took over his family farm. I'm like, oh my gosh, amazing. Can I meet him? She's like, yeah. And my family, like, we're so tight. Like, we're all very, very close. So then my aunt, my dad's side is in the north, Hanoi. And then mm-hmm. the farm is in Da Lat. So we made a trip from Hanoi. We flew down to Da Lat. We spent a few days there. And we met with my current, my current producing partner, Antian. Um, and that's how it started. So we established our, our, our relationship in 2016. Nothing really happened throughout 2017 because I was really busy making films, right? Mm-hmm. And then by the end of 2017, I was like, okay, it's time to commit. So then I made a commitment to commit. And then by the top of 2018, I started building the company. And But also while I was building, I was also still making films, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then I built it while I'm actually really deep in my freelance career. And then I, we launched in November 2018. And then still for all of 2019, right? For most of 2019, like I'm still making films, right? I think I did, I think 2019 was We Gonna Be All Right with Jeff Chang. Um, but I'm still freelance and still doing films. And, but I was kind of growing when coffee supply organically and I wasn't paying myself through the company because it was organic and we didn't have any money, right? Mm-hmm. Every money that we had went to inventory. So I felt like I had to keep working in my other careers to pay my bills, right? Mm. And it got to the point where, you know, as someone who has always taken a lot of pride as being like this slash slash generation of like a multi-hyphenate, multiple hustles, right? Like I, I, I did that really well for most of my life, but it got to the point where it's like, the summer of 2019 where both hustles got so demanding mm. i was like i can't do both well anymore so for the first mm. time in my life i reached a point i was like you have to pick one and i never thought i would be that type of person who picked one right mm-hmm. and so i was like i can't do both well anymore so i had to pick one and then i picked when coffee supply um and that's how i transitioned full-time into the company damn mm-hmm. how big was your t- your team and support network when you first started um it was just me (laughs) when i oh yeah i literally like no gas you all like i really literally did everything myself for all 2018 everything from the legal work the incorporation the importing uh, the roasting i learned how to roast um design the packaging you know i mean i'm helen knows i'm an artist so i i'm I'm fluent in the the i'm fluent in the adobe suite so i designed all the packaging all the merch all the collateral did all the photography yeah i will say that my my partner eric's you know like my life partner eric's at the time was very supportive and always was present to help me you know whether it was with some photography um but i owned all the designs and um and then when i started roasting like he would help me pack the beans in the bags you know um but that was pretty much it up until launch and then like launch day i remember you know we have all these photos and videos from launch day i had like a, a, a team of like 20 people on launch day and they were just all my friends volunteering right mm. um and then I, I have to say i did have one intern who worked with me like one or two days a week um up to launch and then it wasn't until fall of 2019 that i started paying myself and then I hired my first employee oh wow Wow. and who what was the who was the first employee and and what did they do 
The first employee, their role was operations manager, and they supported me in the production realm. Cool. And and to like get to where you just started, even like finding a place to roast your coffee, is that all just like thanks to Google? You just Googled everything, Googled your way through, <laughs> yes. to figure out. Yes, I Everything. yes Google. Uh, yes, people always ask me, "How did you do it?" Google. I really did just mm-hmm. Google the shit out of everything. Like that's why sometimes I get annoyed at people who like hit me up for like quick advice or like quick mm. answers. I'm like, you can Google this, and it's not that I don't <laughs> want to spend time. It's more of like I'm reading their their willingness to put in the work, right? right? Oh my god, right? because. Mm-hmm. 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 I relate to you <laughs> so, so hard on that. It's like, how resourceful yeah. are you to find yeah. these yes, answers? Exactly. Yeah, you it's ain't gonna like, make it. That's basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I can't connect to that because that's not how I operate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I googled a lot of things, but I, I will say, like you know, I had like one friend here, Lynn, who like owns a coffee shop, and he was actually he roasts his own coffee. So like mm-hmm. I learned about where to roast through Lynn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are like a handful of people who like had some resources, but honestly, I would say a bulk of my knowledge came from Google, and then finding different people on Google, and then picking mm-hmm. up the phone. Maybe because I'm an 80s mm-hmm. baby, I still pick up the phone. People <laughs> don't know how to pick up the phone anymore. I pick up the phone, I call these agencies or call these departments, be like, hey, I'm trying to do XYZ, get from point A to point B. What, the, what are the steps I need to do to get from point A to point B? Who do I need to talk to? And what pieces of information or documents do I need to give to you, right? And then they'll say, okay, well, now you need to call this person. Okay, what's their number? Okay, that's literally like putting together a puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that was like what, that was a, a lot of what I felt um, importing was like the very first time because mm-hmm. there's like all these different parties involved and like there's a timeline and documents and it was a combination of google and picking up the phone One thing I'm pretty proud about myself for doing is trying to maintain a healthy lifestyle. When 2021 hit, I knew I wanted to make subtle changes that would create big impact. Lately, I've been eating a balanced meal and I even started working out. I know, crazy to believe, right? But with all these wins, I want to be able to celebrate this progress without feeling guilty. At times like this, I grab my Coors Pure. Coors Pure is an organic beer with zero sugar and only 92 calories. It is a perfect crisp and refreshing beer to reach for while living a balanced lifestyle. Our group of friends love trying out new drinks, especially beers. With summer approaching in LA, we have a close friend moving down and a housewarming is already on the calendar. I already know we're going to have a welcome party for him and Coors Pure is a drink I'll be bringing. Sorry, Helen Janet, I call dibs on drinks. Coors Pure is a perfect beer to celebrate the wins of everyday life. So when you want to enjoy a beer without the guilt, reach for Coors Pure. It's organic but chill about it. Go to CoorsPure.com to see where you can find Coors Pure. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Albany, Georgia. Hi, it's Janet. I get a lot of comments from you all about my glasses. I own a couple of pairs and really like having fun with my frames. Well, the first pair of stylized frames that I ever bought was back in 2014 from Warby Parker. I still remember them. They were these translucent light blue frames and I would get all these compliments from my coworkers at the office. More recently, I was in the market for a new pair of sunglasses this time and my old go-to Warby Parker came through again. They are the OG of accessible stylized glasses. They were one of the first, if not the first, to start the home try-on kit trend. And they have a quiz that helps you figure out the right frames for your face and style. I have a more narrow face, so I really appreciate that they have frames that fit me. I got the Corwin sunglasses this time, and they got the Mel seal of approval. Mel sets the themes for all of our photo shoots and has a great eye for style. So I know that if she commented on them, they're solid. 
Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores. This includes eyeglasses, sunglasses, eye exams, and contact lenses. Their glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses, and they also have sunglasses, progressives, and blue light lenses. Try Warby Parker's free home try-on program. Order five pairs of glasses to try on at home for free for five days. There's no obligation to buy, and it ships free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. Try five pairs of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com A-B-G. You know what's weird? I wouldn't consider myself a sweet tooth. Like, I can definitely avoid cookies and cakes, but I realize I love adding sugar to my coffee and when I cook. I didn't know this, but the average American consumes around 17 teaspoons of added sugar each day. But with the help of HVMN, I'm able to be more mindful and power my metabolism with less sugar. HVMN, or Health Via Modern Nutrition, is a nutrition company that provides lifestyle and habit upgrades by using real organic ingredients. HVMN has made keto and lifestyle improvements easy with healthy and low sugar options that are great for you and deliciously satisfying. I've been snacking on their keto bars and really enjoy their vanilla shortbread flavor. The texture reminds me of actual shortbread. It's the perfect in-between snack if I have back-to-back meetings for ABG. Whether you're curious about keto, want to improve performance, or boost brain and body wellness, HVMN will have non-intimidating solutions for you and in tasty flavors. Right now, HVMN is offering our listeners an additional 10% off your first order when you go to hvmn.com abg. Embrace healthy living today. Go to hvmn.com abg for 10% off your first order. That's hvmn.com abg for 10% off. Wow. So you really dug deep and were working like directly on the ground and managed like everything yourself and then just hired one person. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and, and we saw, you know, so that was what, 2019? And just recently yeah. we saw that you were on the Drew Barrymore show and you did a collaboration with Tori Birch. Um, it's so exciting to see you and your work on mainstream media with such big brands. What what is you know what are you working on now with Nguyen Coffee Supply? What's mm-hmm. next? Mm. Oh, yeah, it's it was so surreal. Drew Barrymore was so surreal, and just you know thinking about this whole point of like feeling invisible growing up and not having representation to be in those mi- mainstream spaces yet, like you were saying, like it's obviously not a validator, you know, Mm -hmm. because we validate ourselves, but it is something, right? Yeah. Honestly, so for 2020, we're we're just really focused on continuing to grow the brand. Um, And, you know, we're mostly, right now, we're mostly like direct-to-consumer, so we're just continuing to grow the brand, you know, grow the brand awareness. We we have a bunch of B2B partners, which are amazing around the country, Um, and then we're like slowly heading into like retail in New York City, right? So like supermarket Mm -hmm. shelves. Yeah, so those are like our main goals. Yeah, it's kind of like, honestly, at this point, it's kind of, I I don't have anything like huge to share, because it's kind of like, we're still so small, where it's like, kind of just like taking what we currently have and just Mm -hmm. like growing it and like growing the reach um and I will say you know in the future future like you know our goal is to be like the biggest and most influential Vietnamese coffee company in the world right um and I say I say that because we want to have we want to continue making a really big impact and a big influence and the way to get there is to continue growing and having Mm -hmm sustainability financial sustainability you know um just org sustainability um we we want to be a global brand right and because i've i just it's again it's about representation i think about there are all these global brands that are rooted in like italian identity 
right? Like there are these Italian coffee companies that are global. Um, and I'm like, but Italy doesn't even grow coffee. They're like probably using Vietnamese coffee, honestly, right? Mm, yeah. And I'm like, why has there not been a really global um, coffee brand rooted in an Asian or Vietnamese identity, especially Vietnam's the number one producer of robust mm, mm-hmm. coffee in the world. Like that just doesn't make sense to me, yeah, right? Yeah. It's not about lack of access or like, you don't, you know, we are the number one producer of robust in the world and two of coffee. So that just goes back to, I think, a conversation about narrative building and representation and visibility. So yeah, that's what we're working towards in, in, t- in the next five years. <laughs> wow. Dang. Well, we are so, so excited to be able to see your coffee in the stores and in the markets. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Hopefully soon. And Sarah, speaking of narrative building, I feel like the work that you do, whether it's like you categorize it as political activism, social justice, and now even like telling the stories of Vietnamese coffee through Nguyen Coffee involves caring so much about the community. And that can be super draining. What keeps you motivated to keep going? Well, for starters, my work is really fun. It's Mm. like so fucking fun. You know, like as an artist, as like in my heart, as someone who is an artist and like as a creative person, like Helen mentioned, like I'm, I'm literally creating something new every day, right? I'm like creating my own world in a, my own ecosystem and a new way of being in my vision, right? Mm-hmm. And then through that, through this platform, we have all these layers of storytelling and like impact and et cetera, et cetera. So it's so fucking fun to me, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things that I felt as a child, as a kid growing up was like, I just hated stereotypes so badly, like the model minority myth, the, all the stereotypes about like Asian girls and women. I fucking hated stereotypes with such a passion that it kind of became this like MO of mine mm. to never let people figure me out. I never wanted mm. people to figure me out. I was like, you're not going to box me in. Like, no fucking way you're going to get, you're going to figure me out, right? Because I just didn't want to be in a box. It was like, mm. I'm going to like not, I'm not going to smash a box. I'm going to like, like, I'm just going to explode out of it. And like, mm-hmm. you'll never <laughs> see what's coming, you know? Yeah. So that like little motivation in the back of my mm. mind, um, I think has always led me, has brought me to this path of like, I'm never content with just this. Like, Mm -hmm. I always want to see what's next and I always want to see what's possible. And as an artist, as a creator, I want to create. I want to create something new in this world. So that keeps, that's one thing that keeps me going. And then a little bit more tangibly, I got to say, um, all of like our community, the feedback, the support, the love, the affirmation from our community of supporters of One Cost Supply, that really keeps you going. And that's mm-hmm. something as specific um, within like our affinity group when they're saying things like, I feel seen. Like, mm-hmm. holy shit. We get those messages all the time. Like, I feel seen. And I'm like, oh, that just tells you how deep the lack mm-hmm. of representation has to be for people to feel seen through coffee right mm-hmm. and i'm like mm-hmm. oh my gosh this is like so wild to me and then it's then i get the other feedback from non-affinity groups who are like changing their minds about robusta they're like oh my god i love robusta or like i love this coffee and i'm like i knew it i knew it i knew robusta wasn't bad <laughs> right so yeah that community definitely keeps me going I just love I love hearing mm-hmm. just like how your your past and your talent you're able to use your talents mm-hmm. and and fully put that into this this passion project which is now growing and it's like so cool to see your brain like literally it came from your like your hands and your mind and it's just yeah. like it's growing now and you are changing the narrative and that's just like 
That is so cool. I think that's what everyone aspires to get to, to this place where your your work is your passion, your passion yeah. is your work, and it's just like this mm. cyclical like ecosystem of what you want your life to be, and you are mm. definitely pursuing that, and it's so cool to, to hear. And I'm just like, yeah, coffee also fuels your passion, right? <laughs> <laughs> not not a good tagline. Don't use that. <laughs> I put that. That's like way overused. Well, no, put that on the next new one shirt. New one coffee supply shirt. <laughs> Wait, so do you feel like, do you, real quick, Tanya, you can edit this out, but do you feel the same way? Cause I know that you all are like going like super hard and full time with ABG now. Like, do you feel you are at a point where like your passion is feeling your work, feeling your passion, feeling your work? Yeah, oh my gosh. Very much yeah. so. Yeah. Like yeah. I, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if I told you this, but like two years ago, I, or one year, a little over a year ago, I quit my full-time job. I was working in finance for, for I saw your Instagram post. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, like, having gone through that experience, I think because I went through that experience, I'm so grateful for what mm-hmm. I can do now. Mm-hmm. And it does feel that way. It's like, we are, I think we are equally as busy as I as I was, like, back mm-hmm. then. But that that busyness doesn't feel like busyness. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm yeah. like, sure, when it gets to, like, taxes and shit, <laughs> yes. But in general, it is, like, it, it doesn't feel busy, and it feels very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah it's I definitely agree. I, I jumped around a lot in my career past and kind of seeking work that ha- had purpose but then was also financially sustainable, and I could not find a good balance. And I, I finally kind of landed in something um, that felt okay, like – I felt like it was interesting work uh, for UX design mm-hmm. and I felt financially stable and all that, but I had kind of pretty much like sacrificed the feeling a sense of like mission or purpose mm-hmm. with that work, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll pursue that in other aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. And then just when I kind of stopped looking for that mission in my career, um, ABG kind of started. And and like you had explained, we did it on the side while mm-hmm. we were working full-time jobs. So it wasn't like this like, I'm going to go pursue my dreams and drop everything. It was very natural, very organic. And now I, yeah, I found suddenly that I'm like waking up every morning working on things that, that always feel like mm-hmm. it ties and it helps people directly, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is mm-hmm. so amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm so proud of you all. Yeah. I, I think Sarah, like honestly speaking with you today, I feel like I feel extremely inspired. Um, I think my background's a little different because I, I went to media right away. Like, I wanted to do something in the Asian American community, but I think I didn't know it was a tangible thing to have this be a full-time, like, work or full-time mm. job. Like, I've always done things on the side, like, projects here and there, and um, didn't think that we could be part of this narrative of making making kind of, like, a little dent or, or something in the movement. And I think just even hearing you talk about, like, knowing someone like you that has been in this for so long and has persistently <laughs> kept pushing in different forms of storytelling. I think that's what, for me, is incredibly powerful because storytelling exists in so many formats and ways. And I think people don't really, sometimes people don't comprehend that because when they think of storytelling, they think of, you know, books or media, but storytelling can come through, you know, a company like New and Coffee and other things. So I feel like you kind of like, translating your storytelling ability and your passion for the Asian American movement into coffee. I was like, that is incredible right there. I think that is like, mm. that, that is what keeps me going too. Like stories like this. Yeah. 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 It's kind of crazy. It just came out of nowhere. It was wild. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's, that's also, that's like another thing that we, um, we try to spread the message up to A lot of people are like, how do I, you know, they see what I guess like 
all of us mm-hmm. who are doing and it's like I want to get there how do you get there mm-hmm. it, it doesn't happen overnight and it's not mm-hmm. something that you can also like journal about and be like I'm gonna do this one day and it, mm-hmm. it's really fueled by daily action to want to do something and I think the more time you put into like a side project whether it's like you're going out there doing spoken word doing like the the fuck America poem like whatever it is right it's like <laughs> little things build up and it becomes right. part of your identity mm-hmm. and then things just happen and come to you and you take opportunities as you come mm-hmm. as they come but you're preparing yourselves for those opportunities right. uh, and you know not not fully leaving your job and going into something like going, yeah. that you haven't started yet totally. we wouldn't recommend towards that totally yeah. yes 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 I, I i love how you broke that down helen because i absolutely agree Be- people often just see like the end result right mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. which is like you know this is a real the highlights the press right and People don't realize, like you were saying, it takes, it doesn't happen overnight and it takes time. It takes work. Um, Cause I think a lot of that work is like building your entrepreneurial muscle as well. And like building your courage muscle as well. And your resilience muscle, mm-hmm. all that to say that the path to getting wherever you want to get, it's very intentional and it's very, um, you know, genuine, authentic. And it's not just like, how do I get there? You know, mm-hmm. like give me the playbook, right. you know, there's just no playbook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, since you have do, been doing a lot of Googling about this industry, <laughs> what do you think is next? Because you mentioned third wave coffee, which actually I didn't know about before talking to you. Um, what do you think is next for the world of coffee supply? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm a strong believer that we are pushing the fourth wave of coffee culture. Mm-hmm. And we define the fourth wave of coffee culture as being a people-centered coffee movement whereas third wave i would define as being very bean centric it was like how is it grown what's the elevation what's the variety how is it processed how is it roasted how is it extracted right and i think that did amazing things for the coffee world however for me i'm like we all know ethiopia as like especially coffee provider right but how mm. much do we talk about Ethiopian culture or Ethiopian mm. brew culture or Ethiopian people? I don't know much about Ethiopian coffee and culture, admittedly. And mm. for me, I feel like that's where I want to evolve the coffee um, community. It's, it's, we need to move away. Like slapping mm. photos of your farmer on your market materials mm. is not the end all of transparency. We need to move away from literally extracting the product from the country and the communities that produced it and then never talking about them again, right? Mm. So for me, and that's why we are so big at Wooden Coffee Supply and talking about the fiend filter because it's coffee culture and talking about the people in the process of this product, right? Mm-hmm. So... That's how we are talking about and pushing fourth wave coffee culture. And people say, are we in the fourth wave or not in the fourth wave? It's kind of like happening, but I define fourth wave as being a people-centered coffee movement. And I also want to say um, I'm a firm believer that the future, especially to coffee, is Vietnamese coffee, right? And just a little bit of context for people in the industry, um, within like the specialty um, coffee industry, um, the specialty coffee industry has deliberately and intentionally and explicitly left out robusta coffee and by default Vietnamese coffee from the movement. That's why you may have noticed over the last 10 years, you'll see like 100% Arabica on packaging, mm. right? 100% Arabica mm-hmm. has become like almost synonymous with this badge of specialty and quality, right? Again, there are reasons for that happen. I think a lot of it is gatekeeping, access to resources, and narrative building. Arabica and Robusta are just two different varieties of coffee. Coffee beans don't live in hierarchy, right? If some, whether or not something is deemed quality comes down to the production, right? Um, the materials, is it organic? Is it sustainable? How is it harvested? Is it hand-picked? Or is it like, you know, mass-picked by a machine, right? 
it, the quality is determined by production is not determined by the variety. So mm-hmm. why is Robusta left out of specialty coffee? Because when we do that, we don't just bar Vietnamese coffee farmers. We actually bar all Robusta coffee farmers around the world from entering specialty coffee, which means we're barring them from the opportunity to advance their livelihoods and their economic opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. So I firmly believe that the future of specialty coffee is Jamie's coffee and it's Robusta coffee for many reasons. Mm-hmm. One, it's all industries oscillate, right? Politics oscillate. We're all the way over here. We're going to go all the way over here. Like I know especially was like super light rolls, super sour, floral, acidic, acidic, right? We're going to go over here. That's just like the nature of like behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, from a sustainability standpoint and agriculture standpoint, Robusta coffee beans are a more sustainable farming option because they're easier to grow in various climates, whereas Arabica coffee beans are harder to grow and they need very, very specific climates. And because of the way climate um, climate change and global warming is going, um, much of the current um, farming territory that is focused on Arabica beans will not be able to sustain. So eventually, people who are, f- people who are farming Arabica coffee beans, they will eventually need to transition to robusta coffee beans because robusta coffee beans are more robust and can grow more so all that to say we are leading the future of of specialty coffee wow Wow. you heard you heard it here first you heard it here first yep that was like a a history and a science and a culinary lesson all in one i feel incredibly like wow i just i learned so much Dropping um, knowledge on yeah. us. I love it. I love it. You awesome. definitely Shout are. Shout out to Google. Yeah. yeah. Shout, Shout out to Google. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for, for sharing with us all this information about the industry, Sarah. Um, as an Asian American woman in this industry, have what is kind of the most challenging experience you faced? Um, have you experienced imposter syndrome? Um, is there like a specific moment you can kind of talk to us about? Uh, uh, the first part of the question is, did, have I experienced imposter syndrome? Um, the first answer that comes to mind is no. I, I've never, I haven't experienced imposter syndrome in a while. And that's just because of the work I've been doing internally mm. um, with my, my self-work, um, you know, minimizing my, my negative self-talk, minimizing my doubts, um, you know, all those things, right? It, it just, it takes work. So I feel really proud and happy to say that I don't deal with imposter syndrome anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm really confident about who I am and, and my, 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 um, my potential, my power. Um, it's more of like other people, mm-hmm. like their struggles with me, right? When mm-hmm. they see an Asian American, a Vietnamese American woman talking about Vietnamese coffee, trying to put it on the map, coming through roasting it, right? It's more of like their issues with me. Mm. Um, and also I find this question, I get this, I get asked this question a lot of like, oh, what are the challenges you feel as an Asian American woman, entrepreneur in the industry, et cetera, et cetera. And I always have a hard time answering that question because I don't feel like being an Asian American woman is a challenge to me. I think it's an mm. asset and I think it's an advantage, right? It's really other people have a problem with me. You know what I mean? So it's not like, 
oh, this building this business is harder because I'm an Asian American woman. Like I just don't, I don't, I, I don't think of it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my identity, my culture, my gender, um, everything about me is a huge advantage and asset, and it makes me who I am. It makes me a great leader. It makes me a great entrepreneur. It makes me a visionary, right? Because of my experiences as a first generation Vietnamese American woman, child of refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, but I will add to kind of this 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 question you're asking is. Um, it's more of like I've encountered people who doubted me. Um, for example, when, we, when I first started roasting, uh, I imported my first pallet of Amy's Coffee Beans to the shared roasting facility. And, you know, people were generally nice, but they would say things like, yeah, they, they, well, first of all, they were like, we've never had a Robusta bean in this facility. And they'd be like, we've, actually, we've never roasted a Robusta bean. I'm like, oh, why not? Like, because it smells like grandma's socks, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So no one explicitly was like, you can't do that. But you could tell they were like, uh-huh, she's, she's cute, you know. Yeah. And then um, I would attend, like, you know, the coffee festival. We'd have a little booth, and we would be the only one serving and brewing Vietnamese coffee and Robusta. And, you know, it's really trying – I entered the industry where I was doing the exact literal opposite. Um, I've experienced, like, some of those negative comments. And I will say um, – with investors when I started fundraising. Um, I have amazing investors today, but of course I did encounter a few who just probably like, who like probably doubted or questioned me um, for whatever reason. Um, but I have had an experience where someone straight up called it a pipe dream, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they called, they literally like, oh, this is a pipe dream. And I'm like, okay. And you know, maybe it was my deal. Maybe it was my business. Or maybe it was a combination of that with me being a women entrepreneur, you know? Um, I used to think about that, that documentary, Fire Island, Fire Festival, about that oh, guy. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Fe- oh, <laughs> yes. yeah. Fire Festival on Hulu, yeah. yeah. I'm like, holy shit, he raised so much money. So easy. Yeah, yeah. I'm like... Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of reasons why, but let's be real. I'm like, it's because he's just like a mediocre white guy can I say that yes. can you edit that yeah. out yes. um it's just yeah, it's, it's just the reality a, of the system right it's a pattern yeah. it's a reality of the system it's a pattern um and we see it time and time again with with school with business with investors and anyway so those were those are definitely a few of the challenges I felt more of like how people would react to me and how mm-hmm. people would treat me or look at me but I myself have never felt like being an Asian American woman was a challenge I love Mm -hmm. that answer. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I mean, I've always kind of thought about that as well when it comes to kind of uh, thinking about feminism. Like, like it's not about being equal to men. It's about being different. And you can see that as better, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's a beautiful message to share with our listeners too. um, For anyone who is dealing with imposter syndrome, to know that it is about internal work and to focus on you feeling good about yourself. And if other people judge you, that's their problem, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, totally. Mm -hmm. I think that's also that's good advice to share to our listeners. Um, Sarah, what is another piece of advice that you picked up throughout your career and always go back to? One piece of advice that I find to be so critical in my path that I love to share with people, whether you are an aspiring entrepreneur or you're not, you you know, you, or whether you're someone who feels comfortable in the corporate environment, my advice is know your why. Know your why. Know why you're doing it, right? Like, and like that means know who you are, know your voice, know your values and, you know, your vision and your beliefs. Know your why because whether you are going on an entrepreneurial path or whether you want to pursue like a steady career in like a corporate environment, 
life in general is full of unknown situations, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're going to be constantly faced with unknown situations. But if you at least know your why, meaning you know your your inner self and your heart and soul, that's going to serve as your compass and your North Star. And that's going to at least guide you in the right direction. And then you can figure out the tactical, right? Figure out the tactical, Mm -hmm. like the the strategy, like that stuff is easy. That's Google. That's Mm -hmm. a mentor or whatever, right? But knowing your why is the is the is the thing that no one else can can give you or tell mm-hmm. you right mm-hmm. so that's my advice like know know your why mm-hmm. and that goes down to also knowing your values no yeah know your why because knowing your values and knowing what is actually guiding you to do the things that you want to do is so so important learn that in therapy free advice for y'all yeah. out there <laughs> know your why go to therapy and that's something you know, and that's something you can google either you know yeah yes you can't google yes. that one yeah <laughs> nope nope well sarah we are sadly wrapping up i loved this conversation with you same so, yeah. same yeah. same so much so this, fun this, this is the last question that we're going to ask you i mean you have achieved you know so much already as a filmmaker journalist director storyteller and now coffee entrepreneur and future coffee mogul hello speaking into existence <laughs> You talked about what's next for Win Coffee Supply already, which is focused on growing and getting into the stores. How can our amazing ABG community support you uh, and Win Coffee Supply? Oh, that's such a nice question. Thank you for asking. Um, I would say the best way um, the community can support me and Win Coffee Supply is to buy our coffee and or if you don't drink coffee, to spread the word, like tell somebody, like Word of mouth marketing is free, you know what I mean? So um, if just honestly amplify, spread the word, it all adds up, it all makes a difference. And, you know, the longer we can stay in business, the more impact we can make. Like that's, it's just that simple for a business. So yeah, please support our coffee, tell someone, you know, send, send a link, send, a, send an email. Um, I, I would just love that support. Mm-hmm. And where can we find you online? Oh, yes. WinCoffeeSupply.com. <laughs> N-G-U-Y-E-N. CoffeeSupply.com. It's also our handle on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. We had an amazing conversation. For our listeners out there, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a comment in our most recent Instagram post. If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash asianbossgirl slash support, or get some merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com. If you resonated with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. And if you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube, where we share vlogs, an audience Q&A segment called Dear ABG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms is at asianbossgirl. So we do have a couple of shout outs for this episode to Yue Ling from Mars. You're amazing and such a boss girl yourself. Keep being kind and movie loving. To Jen Jen Kuber from Mora. Happy birthday to my favorite ABG and most wonderful friend. I love you so much. To Nick from Evan from London. Huge congrats on filing your first patent. So excited for you. And lastly, to my sister Christina from Sabrina from Atlanta. Thank you to my sister, sister Christina and the rest of my bride tribe for throwing me the most amazing back pink filled with k-pop tacos and all things pink that sounds amazing i can't wait to reunite at the wedding and dance the lovesick girls together love you all so much if you'd like to send a shout out to a friend check out our link tree in our link in bio on our instagram and click on shout outs and last but not least thank you to our super talented editor michelle for working all her magic on our episodes including this one
We'll catch you all in the next episode. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and again, thank you so much to Comcast Rise for sponsoring today's episode. You can check out their program at www.comcastrise.com and make sure to share it with your favorite Asian American business owners too.